guys a little bit of an insight as to why we do something called Youth Sunday. Uh, Youth Sunday's primary purpose is to let you guys, as the greater church, see who we are, what we do, uh, and kind of showcase what uh, the Lord is doing in the lives of young people. Um, so we've had people, uh, we've had youth out there greeting, we've had youth back in the, in the lobby at the check-in desk, we have uh, kids working in all sorts of ministries downstairs, um, which you guys can be endlessly thankful for. Um, but it's, it's just a chance for us to allow you guys to be part of what we're doing. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning is the investment factor and uh, how, how we are called to invest, how we are expected to invest. So I have a story. Uh, those, uh, those of you who know me um, know that uh, our cat is a, an ongoing story in our life. Uh, and I want to talk about this one time our cat got scratched on the eyeball. I don't know if it was the cat himself or if it was our ginormous slobbery boxer of a dog. Uh, but he ended up with this, with this wound on his face. And uh, we took him to the vet. And we, we got all this cream and ointment, which um, if you've ever had a cat, you know that their favorite activity is goo squirted in their eye. <laughs> and they just love to do that and are so humble and happy as a cat to receive that. Well, the eye was, uh, was not necessarily um, healing as well as they wanted it to, so we took him back to the doctor, which it was like more money out. We're investing in this wonderful, beloved family pet. Uh, and they decided that he was, that since his eye was hurting, he was squinching his eye really bad, and he was squinching it so tight that the fur of his eyelid was rubbing on his eyeball. Uh, which is not a happy day for anybody. So their fix was to stitch his eye down, <laughs> which allowed me to put further medicine in his eyeball more often so that it didn't dry out or anything. That was weird. Um, and it was just a lovely experience of money and time. I'm talking like six times a day we had to like squirt goo in this cat. Um, and then, yeah. Yeah, the cat expired, um, and I felt cheated. I felt robbed of all the investment I had put into this stupid cat, and and it it had earned to its credit. It earned its keep. My daughter absolutely loved this cat. She would drag it around by the tail. It was terrible, um, and but the cat was just great, and it would go cuddle up with her at night and. And she loved this cat, and it robbed me of the joy of spending so much money on a dead cat. And so he buried his talents, which is what we're going to talk about today in the passage of Scripture. Uh, how I felt cheated, and how perhaps God feels cheated when we don't respond to the investment. Um, so... If you have your Bibles, turn in uh, chapter 25 of Matthew, Matthew chapter 25. I love going through the Gospels. Uh, I love um, that portion of Scripture because I think a lot of times we get caught up in all the other Scripture, which is good and great, and, and I'm not discounting Scripture by any means. But I do think that sometimes it's just good 
to read about Jesus. And, and so I, I love going back to the, the, the Gospels. It's just, it's just important. Um, Matthew chapter 25, we find him talking to folks about the kingdom of heaven. And he's, he's talking about it in parables. Uh, so some of this is, is, is a little metaphorical, and some of it is for us to learn a lesson. Starting in verse 14, it says, For it, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So a couple things about the talents. Um, Number one, these are not talents like musical ability. You can't bury that in the dirt. These were actual physical things. A talent was a chunk of gold. It actually had a handle in it because it was 70 pounds. It was a lot. And so to carry this talent around with you uh, was awkward in and of itself. But a talent was worth, give or take, 20 years of pay. So we're talking a load of money. And this is, this is no small sum, especially in, in, in that day. This was, this was life-altering. This was, this was changing these servants entirely. And so what we see here is, number one, they didn't earn these. The master already had these willingly at his disposal and just decided to grace them to these servants. So the servants didn't, didn't jump through hoops and like sign up for the talents. The master gave the talents. That's grace, by the way. The master allowed them to experience the blessing of, of his infinite storehouse of, of riches, okay? So there's a picture of God. We have, we have a God who has invested in us richly, way more than just 20 years worth of money. He's invested his son into our lives. So they didn't earn them. Uh, the talents were a large sum of money, life-altering, and the one dude buries his. He buries his. Let's, let's read on, on to uh, what happens when this happens. Uh, verse 19. It says, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. What a wonderful phrase. And he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The joy was unchanged. Keep that in mind. He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow 
and gathering where you scattered, scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. So, first and foremost, the expectation from the master is that those with talent make a return. That that is earning potential. That the things that have been entrusted to those servants do not stay there, but make a return. He says, you know, good job, you did well with this. So he's, he's, he's commending them, the two first servants, for what they had done. Our faithfulness is actually measured. Our faithfulness is actually measured. A lot of times we don't view it that way. We just think, oh, I'm a good person, it's fine. Or, you know, I didn't do anything terrible today, it's fine. We don't think in terms of, of God measuring us out and weighing out our life and seeing both the good and the bad. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Our faithfulness is going to be measured. God is going to have a reckoning of what we have done with our talent. And he says it is good to provide a return on that investment. Beyond that, the expectation of the, ma the master uh, was based on the amounts given. It says uh, he gave to them each according to their ability. Not all of us have the same abilities, right? Uh, I could never get up here and play guitar. Well, I, I could, but it would sound really, really bad. Um, those of you who know me, obviously know I did not dress myself this morning. My wife is talented in that area. I am not. So we have different abilities, different talents, and each of us, some of those talents are, are big flashy gifts, big flashy abilities, and some of them are very uh, behind the scenes. God gives us according to our ability, and he expects a return, whether it's two talents or five. Five talents, like a hundred years worth of pay just plopped down in this guy's lap. That's a big flashy thing, right? And the two-talent guy didn't be like, oh, he's got five talents, I've got two. There was, a, there was an understanding with the master and the servants that this is what you can handle. God gives us things that he expects us to handle. And so when you, when you have stuff in your life that is beyond you, it very well likely may be beyond you to understand that God is with you and that he has talented you, he has gifted you with the ability specific to your circumstance. That's encouraging, that God is so personal that he gifts, even, even the gifts he gives are, are specific to our need and our ability. That's encouraging. Uh, also, Look at how he responds to them. The five-talent guy made five more talents. Uh, the two-talent guy made two more talents. And he says to both of them, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So the master's joy, that is the gift. That is the, 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 the benefit of our talents working out. The joy of the master, the joy of the Lord. 
seeing God look at us and go, you did good with what I gave you. The thing that I entrusted you with, you took care of. You were specific in, in your, your ministry. You, you did well. And that is, that is going to be like the best thing we've ever heard. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done. That gets us up in the morning. That looking forward to that day where we get to hear God say that about us is exciting. It should be something that, that motivates us. It should be something we keep in the back of our mind all day long as we're doing every little task, every little thing. Man, I'm doing this for the joy of the Lord. I'm doing this for the joy of the Lord. I tell my kids, if you can brush your teeth for the joy of the Lord, then you're doing good. Because, you know, even the small mundane things are, are able to be done for God's glory. So the, the joy that they got, no matter if it was two talents or five talents, was the same. There was, there was this sense that God and his love, it doesn't matter how flashy we are. It covers all of that. So <clears throat> I want to I pick apart a couple words in this. Um, where he says, well done, good and faithful servant or good and trustworthy slave. Um, there's, there, there's three concepts there that I, I want you guys to pick up on. Uh, number one, that the results are actually taken into account. He says, well done. So the things that are done, he evaluates and calls them good. The things that we do in turn, he's going to evaluate and call good. That when we have a sense of pride or arrogance, uh, even if we do the right thing, that's not well done, is it? Parents, you've, you've told your kids to go clean their room, and they go do it, but you're still not happy because they're like, fine, I'm going to go clean my room, and they stomp off, and you're like, they, they obeyed. Technically, they didn't do it happily. They didn't do it like, with an attitude that made me a, a happy camper. Um, and in the same way, we can often do the right thing, but it not be well done because the way we've gone about it or, or what we've done it for has been a wrong motive or the wrong actions even. Uh, we, can, we can tell someone they're a sinner, right? And that'd be a good thing. Or we could tell those people they're sinners. And that's not a good thing, right? Because our arrogance and our pride or our distaste for certain groups, certain ethnicities, certain agendas that, that are in our culture just rampant. And we, we jump on board with this and we go, ew, not them. But I'll preach the gospel to these guys. That's not well done. So our, our effort, the return that we are giving back to God are being measured. They're being evaluated. Well done. Good and faithful servant. So the good servant is the one who sticks with it and does the right thing, even when, you know, this is integrity. When nobody's looking, you still do the right thing. The good servant is the one who, uh, who shows up with a good attitude, with the right motive. And, and so we're called to not only do the right thing, but to do it with a good heart, a heart to serve, a heart to proclaim God's glory, not our own. 
And a lot of times in, in ministry, especially, we see the glory, you know, on stage. Like that's something I worry about all the time is that I'm going to get on stage on Wednesdays uh, in front of a bunch of kids and they're going to show up to youth group because I'm a goober or I'm silly or or something like that. The power of persona. And I've, I've seen youth groups that were like that, uh, that just crumbled when the guy left. And so certain ministries, it's very easy to become arrogant. Like I was a kindergarten teacher before this, and it was a hoot to walk through the cafeteria as this guy, uh, the only dude in, in like the lower elementary grades at all, uh, and to see all these little kids like, Mr. Wilkie, like the hero worship was, was nice. It was, it was super fun. And if you let that go to your head and say, I'm doing this for the accolade, I'm doing this for the gain I get out of this. It's really easy to, to allow that to become a false motive. And then, and then you start making excuses as to why you, you, you get to do these things. And, and oh, you know, you know <laughs> thank you. Uh, but you're really, like, your heart is being poisoned because of the arrogancy. Uh, so the, the whole idea of uh, our motivation being trustworthy with what we've been given it plays a part into how we minister. Are we ministering to, to get a pat on the back? Are we ministering to others to see how they respond to us or to give glory to God? So our trustworthiness, along with our methods and our, uh, our res- results, are all taken into account, and that is where God says, enter into the joy of your master. So we can't leave any of those things out. Not only that, uh, so, so we have, we have this, these two guys who did a, did a good job, and God said, thumbs up. And then we have the other guy, the other guy who buried his talent in the ground, who was entrusted with something of great worth, great wealth, and instead of doing anything, he put it in a hole. Let's pick up in verse tw- uh, 26. It says, But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So at the very least, like put it in a put it in a place that's going to do some return on investment, even if it's little. So take the talent from him. Give it to uh, he who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And catch this. Cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The weight of that phrase should should hit you like a truck. Cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a big deal. The results of our work, the trustworthiness of our work, the goodness of our work is the litmus test of where we spend eternity. So those who are cast out obvious they didn't put a return on the investment they didn't value the master's joy 
they were not truly serving the master. The grace that is offered to all and those who do not do anything with it, they're characterized as wicked servants. So you can be a servant and be a wicked servant. Those are the servants cast out. That is a heavy proposition. That is a that is a very uh, scary situation to be in. That that is not the uh, the the joy of the master. This is not a happy part of the story. Let's go back to our cat illustration. So the cat died. I felt robbed. I was I was cheated out of the money that I had spent and invested, and I had no way of of recouping that. I couldn't like turn that into anything. Um, literally buried it in the ground. And I'm sad. My kid's sad. There's just all sorts of brokenness in that situation. Imagine God investing in you, his holy son, and you bury him in the ground. Imagine the emotion that is there. The effect that that has on a, on, a, on a holy God to see us take and squander the wealth, the immeasur- immeasurable wealth that he entrusts to us, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, and we put it in the dirt and walk away. That is depressing to me. That we, that we look at a holy creator, recognize he's wealthy, He's the master, he's, he's, the, he's the man. And then the things that we're given to put a return on, we squander. That's a, that's a scary thought. To have that kind of, of possible intimacy. It's, it's nice when somebody's joyful around you, right? It's nice when somebody's happy with what you've done. Congratulatory. When we, when we receive praise just from people, like, that's a good thing. It's a motivator, right? Some people live for that and, and are motivated to, to chase after that so, so hard and, and, and much. And, and we have God who's just waiting to say, good and faithful servant, enter my joy, and we bury it. As I look through Scripture, I'm, I'm reminded how many times Scripture focuses on our uh, Plural verbs. And we're in the South, right? So bear with me with grammar because I don't grammar. Um, But there's a y'all effect in a lot of scripture where it's not just you, it's you all. And so so we have this idea uh, played out in in multiple passages. I want to read one to you uh, and put the y'all in there uh, just so it it stands out a little bit. This is the armor of God passage. Uh, So it says, finally... Be strong in the Lord and in the might of his power. Y'all put on the full armor of God so that y'all can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Okay, We read that as you in English. And I think some of that is missed when we, when we take out that plural you. Because you standing against the devil's schemes is nice. That picture in your head 
We're the hero of the story. We're standing up on the hill with our sword, and the hordes of evil are coming up, and we're just ready to fight. It's like a movie, right? Or is that just me? I have an overactive imagination, so it very likely could just be me. I'm, I'm fine with that, too. Uh, but that's usually how we picture ourselves in the fight against the devil. It's me versus the devil, right? Put on the armor of God so I can fight against the devil. That's not what the text said. The text said, you all, fighting shoulder to shoulder, able to shield one another, because when this one gets you know, struck down, we can step in front with our shield to protect and to serve each other. The army of, of multiple people is stronger than just some dude, that we become arrogant and we think that we are that one dude that can make the difference. And that's not what this is about. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, y'all, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day comes, you guys may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You ever watch night movies? You know, the little squire dude who stands around and like goes and fetches things. Putting on armor is hard. There's all sorts of little buckles and things, and it's heavy. And, and you know, once you get it on, you can move around in it a little bit. But getting it on is nearly impossible. It limits some of your movement, so you can't like reach over here to buckle. So they just stand in T-pose, and the squire buckles them all up, puts the stuff on them. So when it says put on the armor of God, it's not talking about you going and doing this all by yourself. You put on the armor of God socially with people. This happens how you invest. This happens because you've discipled people, because you've taught others how to read their Bible so that they can pick up their shield of faith and their sword of the Spirit. You've, it, it works with a group, not with you in isolation. And, and so when we look at this investment idea, and the idea of, of investing your time and your talent, this goes directly into others. He gave gifted men for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. It's about you guys investing in each other, however that works out. Maybe you have musical ability. Maybe you have the ability to pray. Maybe you have the ability to, to teach. Maybe you have whatever abilities God has given you. That is the ability that you're supposed to invest. And we invest in people. We invest in the group. We invest in each other. And that's how we stand against the devil and his schemes, not in isolation. So I want you guys to, to have the opportunity to hear about the fruit of investment. What does investment do and look like down the road? Um, and I could stand and talk to you guys about how uh, I had pastors and youth pastors in my life 
um, that, that walked me through hard times of moving in Chattanooga to different places, and I was going through a hard time. I could talk about my college experience where uh, this, you know, I was, I was going through a rough stage, and they took me into their home, and we talked through a lot of things, uh, and, and they, they pushed me on to godliness and taught me to love Jesus more. But you don't know these people. You don't know John Olis, who is a professor in Philadelphia. You don't know, you know, Mr. Dom, who is my, who is my uh, youth pastor in Chattanooga. You don't know these guys. So there's a little bit of a disconnect. You could hear the story and say, oh, that's cool. But I want you to hear about the fruit of investment from people that you know, people that you've watched grow up, people that you've promised to pray for as they have answered the call through ministry, uh, and which I hope you've followed through on. So uh, if you guys would come on up here, um, and we're going to get to hear about them and the fruit of the investment they have experienced in this life. Thank you. 
So, yes, very much, very much. There were supposed to be two other people on stage, uh, but they are they are home. Um, but they were able to videotape their testimony. So have a have a look at this.
Amen is right. We, we get to see, yes, yes. We get to see the effect that people have on other people. And so I wanted you guys to see both ends of the spectrum. You've seen a bunch of folks who have been poured into, and, and you've probably heard a lot of the same names coming up over and over and over again. These are, these are folks that are, that are pouring in and investing into other people. But I want you to see now how that has played out in my son's life, because um, he got to be on stage because I told him to. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he's here to kind of talk about the receiving end of that coming up through the, the beginning stages of youth group. Investment pays dividends, and when you invest in people, and that comes back full circle, and you see them investing, especially in your own, man, that's powerful. It's powerful, and it's encouraging to know, like he said, when, when inevitably we have a disagreement, that I know he's got godly people that he can go to to ask for advice, and that I know that they're going to push him towards towards God and to glorify him and not just run down rabbit tracks of, of self-indulgence. That's encouraging to know that those kind of investment ripples are happening in this church already. Makes you want to plug in, make a bigger ripple. Uh, a lot of times we end the parable there kind of chop it off. I think it is valuable for us to continue reading this. Uh, so let's pick up back in verse 31. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick 
and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, as you do not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Don't get me wrong. I am not saying your works save you. But I am saying your works are a product of your salvation. James talks about this. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but do not give them the things which are needed for the body? What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Do not be those cast aside because your faith didn't produce. And faith was never actual faith. It was never faith that saved and produced a, a motivation to serve and to glorify God. But it was just an, a, a faith of, yeah, God, God's God. Cool. James says the demons believe that. This passage wraps it up quite nicely just to illustrate the fact that the investment, those talents given to those servants are expected to be used on other people. And that could be simply feeding somebody. That's easy, right? We all know how to scramble an egg. Like That's not hard. You can feed somebody. And that can be a ministry of your faith working out in the lives of someone else. It doesn't have to be complicated. Some of you are probably terrified to stand up on stage. That's fine. You don't have to. Help somebody with clothes. Give them a glass of water. It doesn't have to be complicated. And I think we think of ministry in those kinds of terms. We overcomplicate it and, and think, oh, I can't do the job of a pastor. Well, there's a million other jobs out here. Do those. Just do something. If you have not had an experience with Christ, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, that's something we've got to figure out first. So those of you who, who are sitting there going, I don't, I don't really understand this, I don't, I don't get it, why would, we, why would we buy into this? Or those of you who have, who have uh, played the church game long enough, let's get into the household of faith so that your works and your talents that God has entrusted into you 
start to do so. That is the sign of our faith, that we will be known by our love for the brethren, that, we, that, that people will look at us and say, y'all are weird. Like that's, a, that's a banner we should wear. It's weird. Why do we, why do we have joy all the time? Why are, we, why are we unaffected by all the turmoil and, and the crisis? But we praise God through the crisis. That's weird. That should be our banner, that people see that and see that we're, we're working into other people's lives purposefully, discipling them, drawing them out, drawing them closer to God, pushing people past their comfort zone. Because our comfort zone is a death trap. We get comfortable and we get lazy. Wicked and slothful servant. Don't let that be your label. Enter into the joy of your master based on your trustworthiness, the results of your work, the goodness of your motives. That is the goal. So, all of these things take time and effort. And, and I'm not saying you have to come all be a youth leader. Like that would be, my mind would blow up. I wouldn't know where to put you guys. But go do something. You know, I'm just biased. It says the least of these, I think, little kids. You know, invest. Parents, you guys got children. Invest in them. Don't give me some garbage about my schedule's really full. Who filled it? What's more important? the talents that you're investing in people or checking off all the boxes of your schedule. You know, Parents, invest in your children. If you don't know how, come talk to us. Like I would, I would love to talk to people all day long about just like the weirdness of this current culture and, and how to like reach kids. Like that would be a good conversation. If it, well, it'd be a weird conversation. But there are so many people out there investing. If you are a believer... And you're here sitting, and that's it. Are you a believer? That's the question we need to ask. Because there's so many opportunities. Join the greeting team. Join youth ministry. Join kids ministry. Do the production room. Like, that would be great. Come be on the band if you've got talent. Do something. Work out your salvation on the lives of other people. And enter into the joy of your master. I'll leave you with, with one quote. It's a, it's a Chinese proverb. I really like it. It says, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. And if you want happiness for a lifetime, help someone. That is the key. That is what we are supposed to be known for. And that's why we do Youth Sunday let you guys see, because a lot of you guys are investing. A lot of you guys have put a lot of effort and time into people, and it shows. It shows. Kids are downstairs helping other kids and, and leading lessons and, and helping home babies. Like, this is real. And investment, and the ripple effect of putting in time 